You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Broncos Audio Zone. I'm Phil Milani, joined as always by Eric Dalala. We are back with another episode of Broncos Country Throwback. This time, Hall of Famer Gary Zimmerman joins Jim Sakamano. Yeah, Phil, pretty exciting to have our first Hall of Famer on Broncos Country Throwback. Gary Zimmerman, of course, Phil, won th- or went to three Pro Bowls during his time in Denver, had a first-team All-Pro appearance, and, of course, was on the Super Bowl 32 team. Really excited to hear from him. Jim, take it away. We are honored to have as our guest today on Broncos Country Throwback, Gary Zimmerman. Gary Zimmerman is, without any question, one of the great players in Broncos history. He's in the ring of fame. He's one of the great players in NFL history. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's one of the great offensive linemen ever. He's on two, two all-decade teams. So uh, I think I've done enough fence painting there, Zim, uh, you know, like uh, Tom Sawyer with uh, the whitewash. But um, tell it to everybody where you're keeping yourself these days. Well, thanks for having me first, Sako. But, uh, yeah, I live in uh, Bend, Oregon, and I uh, we're lucky enough to have a 40-acre uh, plot of land that's uh, technically a tree farm, but all it is is work. But uh, that's pretty much what I do is I, uh, I stay busy just tinkering around here. Mm-hmm. You know, Jessica Mendoza of ESPN, uh, who was a great softball player at Stanford, she lives in Bend. Have you met her at all? I I have not, Sako, because you know me. I I stay out in the woods. But, yeah, Bend is, used to be a kind of a secret. But, you know, there's quite a few, uh, you know, former players and yeah, uh, celebrity-type people have homes here. It's just uh, it's one of those places that has got the word has got out and people are, are snatching stuff up. Right, that's, I'm sure that's true. But as long as they still make signs that say private, do not enter, and you can buy those up, you'll be okay at your 40 acres, right, Zim? Well, I've got a gate. And, uh, <laughs> okay. And enter at your own risk, you know. Um, Zim, you know, your acquisition is one of the great moments. People think of John Elway, they think of Peyton Manning. But Seriously, you're one of the great moments in Broncos history, acquisition-wise. And people don't realize there are first free agent that we signed. The very first free agent was Don Maggs, the left tackle for Warren, Mil- Warren Moon in Houston's run and shoot. But Maggs gets hurt in the offseason. Personally, I think he was moving a refrigerator or something. He never would fess up. Anyway, he gets hurt. He's shot. Plus, he wasn't going to be – he was no Gary Zimmerman. But I give great credit to Bob Ferguson. Then he goes out, he says, you know, Wade, Minnesota's having a heck of a problem with Zimmerman. And they go out and they make a trade for you. What did you think about coming to Denver? Oh, it was one of the happiest days of my life uh, because I was hearing rumors I was going to go to the Jets. And uh, I was originally drafted by the Giants, so I, uh, I didn't. I refused to go there. I just, I'm just not an East Coast guy, so I was mm-hmm. dreading that my – my choice is going to be the Jets. And then when the Broncos took me, I was elated. And then when I actually got out there and, you know, met Mr. Paul and I was, I couldn't believe it. It was like a, like an adopted puppy then, you know, just mm-hmm. happy for your, for your new owner. So it was just a great acquisition for me. And 
everything worked out in the end pretty good. And you are, and I say this in a, not in a bad way, but a tough, cynical guy. People had to know Pat Boland to know how great he was, didn't they, Gary? Yeah, and, that, and that's the problem is if you're on the outer, outside, you never got to know him because he was a lot like me. He didn't really open up to he didn't like strangers. So unless you, you were kind of on the inside, you really didn't know the real Pat Boland. And, you know, that's a shame that the people didn't realize what a great man he was. Mm-hmm. Now, Gary, where'd you grow up? Were you a Southern California guy? I mean, I know you went to Oregon. Yeah, I grew, up in, uh, I grew up in, I grew up in LA County, a, a place called Diamond Bar, which is uh, East LA. East LA out by Pomona area there. And uh, so that's where I grew up and I knew I didn't want to remain there. And that's, you know, one of the big reasons I ended up coming to the Northwest. Sure. And the Northwest, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those places, lots of woods, lots of space and so forth. So then you finish at Oregon. Like you said, you're drafted by the giants, your rights get traded to Minnesota, but you sign with the LA express. Which, by the way, once upon a time wanted me to be their PR director, but I thought the I was I thought the league was uh, shaky, so I didn't. Uh, I mean, no offense, Gary, but long-term shaky. But um, you go to the LA Express. Tell us why. Well, uh, before I was drafted, I don't know that all the experts doing their predictions and stuff. They had me going to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles in their mock drafts and. Like I said previously, I'm just not an East Coast guy. So L.A., you know, maybe an offer. I grew up in L.A., so I thought hey, it's pretty cool. I can, you know, play down with my family, can watch and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And and in hindsight, it's probably the greatest decision I ever made because coming out of college, I was a center guard. And the L.A. Express moved me to tackle, and that's I think that's probably the best move I ever made in my career, even though I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was great. And it's a big city, but like you said, that was, uh, you had friends, you had family. So that, that kind of made it more like a, a home place really. Yeah, it was, it was, I called it college with money because, you know, you had a bunch of young guys who were just all out of college and we finally were getting paid. So it was kind of like, going to college with money. So everyone just kind of having a good time there. And, uh, you know, that's where I learned to play tackle and that's, you know, kind of my bread and butter and what got me through was, you know, having to get, you know, two, like two extra years of college actually learning the left tackle position. So, you know, hadn't been for that, you know, I've, I've been a center guard and I don't know how long I could have made it at that position. You know, I might've washed out in a year or two. So I just think, you know, it was a, it was a great move in hindsight. Yeah. You know, Zim, you were, this is a hard one to, to answer maybe, but you were such an intense guy. I mean, you were intense. And there are a lot of players with a lot of talent. There are a lot of big guys. There are a lot of, of guys. But the great, great ones seem to have something about them that just they will not, they, they will not, they cannot take defeat. They won't be defeated. They're uh, leaders, et cetera, et cetera. How can you verbalize any of this? It applies to you. But maybe it's too hard to talk about. Well, I don't know. I think it's just my uh, DNA because, you know, when we were kids, my dad, you know, we did, we never had a vacation. You know, Christmas vacation, my dad would get us up at 6 o'clock and we'd go out and work all day. So, 
So it's not like I've always had a hard work ethic and I saw that, you know, I made advances over my friends who, you know, were going to the beach and stuff and I was, you know, working hard. And so I think that's what it was, you know, and then throughout my whole career, I saw, I saw guys who played the same position as me that were behind me that were better players. But like you said, they, a either didn't, didn't work hard enough or B they just mentally didn't, couldn't conceptualize what was going on. So uh, I just came up with a theory that it's hard to lose your job if nobody can get in there. So that's, that's know, right. Just, that was kind of my, that was kind of my deal was just never give anybody a chance. Mm-hmm. Rod Smith used to say, and still says, you know, when he came in, the first thing he'd do is look at the top of his locker to see if his name was still there. And I never had a contract to my last three years. And I always said, you know, if my key still works, I guess Mr. B still wants me. And uh, based yeah. on yesterday, and you hope yesterday was good enough that they want you. So when we traded for you, Wade Phillips met the press, and the press said, how good is Gary Zerman? He hasn't practiced. We had some preseason games. Hasn't played, hasn't practiced. Wade said, well, I'd imagine he'd be the second best player on the football field. I'd say he'd be number one, except we have John Elway. Then they played the game, and you played like a quarter or something. And somebody said, how, how was he? And Wade said, well, he was the second best player on the football field. And uh, people don't realize, but Derek Thomas, the Kansas City linebacker, just tortured quarterbacks. And I don't even know if you know this, but from the minute we got you, he never had another sack against the Denver Broncos, Jim. Well, I think you're exaggerating a little bit there, Sacco, but uh, I don't think no, I, I did my best. And, you know, I understood when he brought me in, my job was to protect number seven. And I, I took it seriously. And if anybody got near him, you know, I kind of, you know, felt like I failed. So I, you know, I, I took, took the, like you said, the intensity, I took it really serious that, you know, they're paying a lot of money to have me come in and protect seven. So I tried to give them the best I could. Um, and of course, whether you were hurt, whether you were well, you, you were really never hurt. You weren't hurt till the season was over. I mean, then you might say, I'm hurt. But you played and you played. Tell the fans about the time um, when you had all the surgeries at once in the hospital. Remember that? You opted to have several things at once, and a poor nurse thought you'd been in an auto accident. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. It wasn't too much fun. But, yeah, I had three surgeries. I think I had my elbow, my ankle, and my finger done. They were just things that compounded over the season, you know, like, I talked about earlier is not to give anybody a chance. So I uh, just played through things. And then uh, I had the surgery and I was sitting in my room recovering and a new nurse uh, shift change came along and the new nurse came in and asked my wife if I was, if I was in a car accident. But, <laughs> so, yeah. What was it like to win that first Super Bowl? It was, I don't know, it's kind of like the perfect end of my career. You know, I think looking back, I kind of feel sorry for the guys who got that up front because for so many years, I thought it was out of reach. You know, we got so close and just couldn't get over the line. And to finally get there at the end, it was kind of like the culmination of my whole career. And if, if I if that had happened the first year and then you played the rest of the year, it's like, what, what's yeah. the rest of your career for if you never made it? So. I just think it was kind of like a perfect ending for me. Yeah, I remember at the post-game party in San Diego, 
big party and teams have this and um, you were in one one of the tents for whatever reason most of the people were not in this tent and you were sitting there the offensive lineman and Bill Romanowski and you were sitting on chairs like leaning forward you had your suits on you had a drink you were all smoking cigars but it was as if it was like you were the hunter gatherers you know back from the hunt you know what I mean uh, talking about how they brought down that buffalo or whatever it was. And I remember that's the first time I heard you say, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to come back. Yeah. Well, it was something that the last two years, you know, my shoulders were going and I was getting a lot of uh, injections before the game. And that was worse than the game, you know, because all week I had to worry about that stupid shot. And that, and you know, that really wore you down is, thinking about that stupid shot, you know, whether or not the doctor can get it right, you know, cause, you know, a couple of times he didn't get it right and it was pretty bad. So, you know, it just got to where, you know, you know, I was, I was worried. I wasn't going to be able to play with my kids when I got older, I'd have to have, you know, artificial shoulders, you know, age 35. Mm-hmm. But so I just thought, you know, what else is there to get, you know, sure. I got the ring. It took so long to get there. It meant so much to me by doing that. It, uh, what else did I have to gain other than money? And I, you know, when Pat called me, I said, Pat, I would love to come back, but I'd be stealing money from you because, you know, I'm hurt and I can't keep doing this, you know, and hopefully he understood why it's not that I didn't want to come back. It's just that mm-hmm. I thought, I felt that I couldn't hold up my end of the bargain on this. He was paying a lot of money and I just didn't think I could earn them, you know, right sure. to earn it. Plus, no matter what somebody's money is, and it's not nobody's business, but I know you live a simple life. You're very happy in Bend, Oregon. You've got your property. You've got a fantastic family. My gosh, all decade, Hall of Team, Hall of Fame, Super Bowl. As you said, what else is there really except more? More is not good enough. Yeah, because a, a rich man is a man who has inexpensive hobbies. And that's what I am. You know, I can go out and chop wood and I get a lot of satisfaction out of doing stuff like that today i moved bark for three hours and just tedious manual things you know give me simple pleasure and i don't need fancy stuff so i guess uh i'm a simple guy and i enjoy you know driving my tractor around you know mowing Mm -hmm. weeds and stuff that most people probably don't think is much fun but i just get a lot of satisfaction out of doing simple things yeah now um Gary, uh, didn't you do some um, old kind of snowmobile search and rescue stuff in the winters in Bend, or or is that uh, am I thinking of somebody else? No, that was me. I for two years I was on the uh, the sheriff's search and rescue team, and uh, that was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot of stuff. But what it turned out to be is I wasn't really searching and rescuing people. I was most of the callouts were for drug issues for people, you know, hiking and they're, they're too drugged up and they, you know, running around those shirts and, you know, endangering themselves. So, or somebody, you know, didn't bring a flashlight up on on top of a mountain and they couldn't see to get down. So we had to go up there with a light to get them down. So after two years, I just kind of thought, you know, I got in this to help people, but I didn't get in it to go up there and waste my time on these guys who, right. Who, uh, just meet up there doing drugs and stuff. Yeah, not 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 right. Understand entirely. Now you you were really a taciturn guy, and 
Sometimes I can't believe how much I like you, considering how limited you were with the media. Um, I remember the day we got you, and you were sitting down, and you looked like somebody looked like they could bounce those uh, big medicine balls off your chest, and you weren't even standing up. And you said, let's get this media stuff over with. And I thought, well, Jim, you won't be taking him to meet the media too many times, but let's just go out and have him do this uh, on the patio for a minute, and that'll be that. And kind of it was. But uh, you try to push buttons if you're in my business. You, you try to have really good relationships no matter what. And you used to do a special thing for me with the media every day that the locker room was open. Do you remember what you did? That's right. One o'clock, locker room's closed. That's right. And uh, to our fans who are listening, you know, the media's in there doing this stuff, 12, 15 to 1, all very busy stuff, buzz, buzz, buzz. But at 1 o'clock, the biggest voice, this bassoon voice from the one end of the locker room says, locker room is closed. And if necessary, you might add politely, really politely, that everybody has to get out now. And uh, I always thought that was pretty cool. And secretly, so did they. They just weren't going to tell oh, yeah. you that. Yeah, it was pretty funny because I, I don't know when I, for my birthday or something, somebody gave me a cake and it said the media machine or something. It was yeah, pretty something hilarious. like that. Now we make this. We we're going to the Super Bowl. Boy, we're, what a team that was. We're going to go to Super Bowl 32 and we're going to win. But you know, NBC is doing the game, but they come to Denver and they got to get interviews with all these guys. I mean, they got to get them. They got to. And I remember Paul McGuire. I, I have a lot of respect for Paul. He took it upon himself. He said, I'll do the offensive line. And they said, the offensive line, they don't talk. They won't talk. They don't talk to anybody. Do you remember what Paul McGuire did? Do you remember the night we had at uh, Brooks Steakhouse? I don't remember that, but I remember they enacted a, a rule for that game that we had to talk. Oh, I think well, that was the first time that. that, yeah, I think that was the first time that rule was enacted. Yeah, but I do not remember the stakeout. Oh, well, what happened was Paul McGuire went around to you guys and he said, we'll have a dinner tonight at Brooks Steakhouse. And NBC's paying for it. And you can order anything you want. I don't care if you order steaks to take home. You get cigars, you get wine, whatever it is. But I got to have a camera in one corner of the room. And as you come in, I got to sit everybody down for five minutes. And you guys were great. You were great. Every one of you did it, and then we had a fantastic dinner. I was lucky enough to be there, too. I remember Nalen stayed in his car. He was sure it was a con, and he stayed in his car <laughs> until all you guys, you know, he thought it was a con. And then as each of you guys went in and nobody came out, you know, saying, gosh darn, that was a con. Finally, after about five minutes and the whole team was in there, Nalen comes in, and, and Zerman, I mean, uh, um, McGuire got him, too. That was great. Those were great moments, Zim. And uh, it, it's really hard to be a championship team. Derek Lavelle said, it ain't easy being champions. We just make it look like it's easy. And uh, you were part of that, Zim. Yeah, the Super Bowl was a, was a great experience. It wasn't, quite, it wasn't anything that I really expected, you know. I was, I was a little disappointed in the actual experience because you know, we get to the hotel and you can't even get out of the damn thing. You know, there's people crowding in everywhere. Yes. So we had to come to, we had to come down the back elevators and, you know, get on the bus. And 
you know, then you go to the game, you know, we're used to going to the game early and we couldn't go to the game early because of security. So that was screwed up. And then, you know, we had to rush and get dressed and then you get all warmed up and then you got to sit and wait for the pregame show, you know, and then an extra long halftime. So, you know, uh, the, the actual game was good, but the, the time in between, you know, I was kind of disappointed, you know, kind of broke the rhythm up, you know, but, mm-hmm. you know, public linemen are creatures of habit and our habits right. weren't the same there. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Shanahan talked to me about that. He that was he did a great job of of trying to um, you know like driving a team of horses of uh, of keeping that as normal as possible for everybody. Yeah, I think that's the key to us winning that game was 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 uh, Mike's you know past experience with that because mm-hmm. you know we went hard that that first week and you know and I felt really good you know we were really confident you know that was back when the the big guys of, you know, Green Bay, we couldn't block them and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I wish they had fan duel back then because, you know, we could have, could have made a little more money, but you know, <laughs> we all, we all, you know, the whole offensive line that whole week, you know, we just wanted the game to start because we knew we were going to win, you know, and Mike had, you know, secretly, you know, played the game of you know, the, the mental game of how we can't block them and all this stuff. And he did an excellent job of, Excellent. It's all hyped up. And he did an excellent job, and you know he kept us on track. And I felt so prepared. And you know, I mean, it was just, you know, there was no doubt in my mind the outcome of that game. I just hope it, wished it wasn't as close as it was. But I, you know, I think it was yeah. a great game for the spectators. And you know, it's just. I remember the during the week of all time. I think. Oh yes, oh yes, because we were like a twelve and a half point. We might have been the biggest underdog since Joe Namath. Of, of victory teams, you know, I remember during the week, somebody from the NFL and it was, a, I usually wouldn't even say this, but, but sometimes you're candid because it's a friend and a friend said, boy, I hope you guys can stay in there against the Packers. And I said, you know what? We're going to go through the green Bay Packers, like grain through a goose. And, and he was a little surprised, but you could feel it. You could sense it. We were going to, we were going to whack the heck out of them, and you guys really did. It was wonderful. And, and yeah, Tim, think of the cities. Yeah, think of the cities, the people in Denver. Remember Bronco Betty? Yes. She passed away about three or four months ago, you know, and to the end she was supportive. But, I mean, think of the people who – the Broncos were their whole lives. And, and you you know, and they, we got close before, and you gave them that Super Bowl championship. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite the dream season. You know, we were the wild card, and nobody expected us to get past Kansas City, and how other nobody expected us to get past get get past you know Pittsburgh. You know, it just kept going along. You know, so I think I think we were the well, we were the first uh, or second uh, wild card team to come back and do that. I don't back then something I like that. Done it since, but yeah, I, I mean, I it do was, remember. You know, I mean, yeah. Our, our last against all game, odds, you know. Against all odds, but our last home game, it was done by CBS Radio. Because my God, we lived, as you know, with the number one TV crew with national radio. And after the game, Pat Hayden was doing color for CBS, and you know they said, "Oh, Pat, what do you think of the Super Bowl? Who's going to win the Super Bowl?" And he said, oh, "Denver's going to win it." And they said, "Denver, Denver's a wild card." He said, "Yeah, but they're the best team." That was it. He said, they're the best team. They'll win the Super Bowl. And um, that was that was great. Uh, and I, I, I do give Shanahan a tremendous amount of credit. That's a 
matter of another time and another interview. But boy, it was like he, I, I won't say he played his players, but he told his players the truth. He was like a violinist, a concert violinist, you know, hitting all the right notes. Yeah, he was a master chess master then. You know, that's exactly what he did. He moved all the pieces in exactly the right way and checkmated them. And, um, and it was a masterful job by him, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was quite an offensive line, too, Zim, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. When we had nobody over 300 pounds. You know, that was a big deal back then. God, that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> but that was a lot of rock-solid. That was a lot of rock-solid players. And it was just a different era. You know, it's like when people say, well, now Bronco Degursky couldn't play. I don't care what he played. Bronco Degursky, Bronco with a K, you know, one year he made, he was two, he was two spots on the All-America team. He was the fullback and the tackle. They only had 10 yeah. guys on the team. I mean, so he, he would have lifted weights. He would have drank his uh, protein shakes. He'd have been okay today, you know? Yeah, especially today because he would have to have practice, right? Oh my God, it's not like it. Well, it's not like it used to be, Zim. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, that. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah, but, you know, you know. Sadly, I think you know the offensive line is the, the position that's taken the biggest hit in this uh, this new new era of football because you know the offensive linemen need time and togetherness to get to to work things out and they just don't get it anymore because of all the union stuff. So, uh, you know, I, right. see I think the offensive line position is taking the biggest decline. And like Schlereth mentions, and I wouldn't know, but you know, he was a player and he says that he thinks like in college these days, so many offensive linemen don't even put their hand on the ground. Then they get to the NFL and he said, no matter how good they were, they got a lot to learn and they need a lot of reps. Yeah. There's a lot of coaches taking the shortcuts, you know, that way. But, but I've even in high school level, they don't have contact anymore. They hit those blue bags, you know. So you, mm -hmm. to me, the only way you learn is by hitting live bodies, and they just don't get that now. So they get they get no reps in high school. They get no get very few reps in college, and you know they're they're quite a ways, you know, skill and technical wise, they're they're a lot further behind than when uh, the old days. Zim, do you ever? Uh, is there any high school nearby or anything that you get involved with, or do you choose not to? I I choose not to. I went down there and I was going to try it, but they were hitting blue bags, and it's like I can't help you with this because I don't know how to hit blue bags. We've never done that, you know. I can't mm -hmm. coach you up how to how to play it because I just it's only on the body. There's leverage and you know stuff like that. You can't teach on a bag because you don't you can't get the fit, you know, and you when you hit a blue bag, it's not moving as fast as a human being either. So it's like, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could really help them out because I didn't under, I couldn't uh, play in the new era. I, I don't you know. I'm not even sure I could play today, if, you know, cause. Well, I'm not going to go there, but, uh, but yeah, the game, well, is the game different. is so different now, Socko, you gotta, you gotta have a social media account. So I'm out right there. Yeah. 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 We won't even, we won't get into, uh, we share a ton of views, Gary. And I don't think, I doubt that, uh, People are interested in hearing them. But um, now you've got a great wife, Lisa, and two great daughters. One of them is super califragilistic special. She works in marketing for the Broncos. Uh, Kelsey's terrific. Yeah, I, I feel bad because she's got kind of the curse I had where she 
she, she has to do the best she can and she gets upset when she when things don't work out so perfectly mm-hmm. so so we, we hear a lot I of sour grapes from her yeah, yeah. now has so she, she told you has she told you i maybe she hasn't has she told you the broncos are kind of sort of talking about doing a museum no she has not well then i guess you didn't hear it from me but someday i'm coming <laughs> to you and i need something really good I need something unique and good, and I don't know what that is, but I'll give you time well, to think, think about, about it. that because I've been hit up so many times we're getting low here. But we'll that's what, what Craig Martin told me. I said, Craig, please, you got to have something. And uh, it, you know, the beautiful thing is, it could be anything. It could be a a copy of a contract. It could be, I mean, it could be a, a note. You've been to museums before, and they've said this is the pencil that so and so used. And, it, and he ate off the end of the eraser, and uh, you know what I'm saying. But anyway, I'll be coming to you, uh, and otherwise I didn't have this conversation with you, even though I had it publicly uh, mentioning that thing. But, um, Zim, this has been a pleasure. You, you're great. I can't wait till we see each other again. Hey, how much weight have you lost? Well, <laughs> that's a sad story, but at one time it was 50 pounds. But... Um... I'm I'm back on the uprise, so I need to get back at uh, back at it. Because, you you kind of got pandemic, huh? Yeah, because well, several things happened. My mother-in-law got sick, and we we had to leave Arizona oh. where I was hiking the mountains every day. So I lost that, and I came back here when it's just snowing, and I couldn't do anything. So I gained I a see, few, I and, then, and well, the pandemic, you know, I've kind of yeah, distanced all, myself. So I'm not doing stuff. So I'm. I'm yeah. back on well, it now, so we'll get it back. Well, you, you're back on it, and, and you look great, and uh, it'll all be good again. So, Zim, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I am honored well, I, to know you, Zim. Well, I appreciate that, Sako, and uh, I'm just glad that almost everybody who works for the Broncos are like you and, you know, the personal guys, oh. and you feel like they're family, and, you know, you've been there for so long, and, you know, you were honored by Mr. Bolin with your – your name on the press box, well deserved. And oh, thank just, you, Zim. I'm just glad to be part of a, a Bronco family and be a loyal soldier, so to speak. So, thank you for having so me on I. your show today. Oh, thank you. And we're all in the same army, Zim. We've been talking to one of the all-time greats, no matter how you label it, Gary Zimmerman on Broncos Country Throwback. And Zim, happy trails. Nothing but seashells and sunsets till we meet again. All righty. Hope there's a season this year so we can come out. I hope so. Take care, Zim. Bye-bye now. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Phil, good to hear there from Gary Zimmerman. That was his conversation with Jim Sakamano. We don't hear too much from Gary Zimmerman. Uh, Not often we get to talk with the Hall of Famer, so always interesting to hear his thoughts and to get a look back at his career there. Yeah, he likes to live a little bit more of a secluded life out there in Oregon, but always great when uh, we do get to catch up with him. And, of course, Jim Sakamano, so talented, uh, having conversations with some of these former players, get to learn things that you've never heard before. If you uh, like these types of interviews, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to Broncos Country Throwback, a new channel here, wherever you find your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify, make sure you go ahead and subscribe. We'll be back with another 
member of the Broncos alumni next week. But until then, for Jim Sacramento and Eric Dalala, I'm Phil Milani. 